Hey, it's Stephen Henderson. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk about election results with Colin Jackson, a Capitol reporter with the Michigan Public Radio Network. He's going to talk about the implications for the state legislature from the elections of mayors in Warren and Westland. Two state legislators won those races, which means that the slim Democratic majority in Lansing will go away at least for a time. What does that mean for the governor's agenda? What does that mean for the legislature? Really great conversation about the ripples from Election Day 2023. Colin, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. So uh, this is a short-term problem for Democrats, or it is at least for now just a short-term problem, and there will be elections to decide what happens in the future. But put this in context for us. How big of a deal is it that Democrats no longer have that uh, slim majority in the House? Well, I mean, for one, this is definitely a big headache for uh, Democratic leadership. So the whole year up until this point, we've had a 56-54 Democratic majority in the State House of Representatives. And the way the state constitution works is you need a majority of members elected and serving. So that required to pass a bill in the House. So that means no matter what, every bill that went up on the board needs 56 votes to pass. And for some of these more controversial measures or um, measures that Republicans have been more reluctant to support, that meant Democrats haven't been able to lose a single member on a lot of these votes. So whether that's um, pro-abortion legislation, whether that's gun control legislation or uh, gun safety reform, um, whatever or whatever, what have you, um, some of these priorities have needed 56 votes. And without that, Basically, a lot of these main priorities, the ones that aren't going to get bipartisan support, Mm -hmm. they're effectively stalled um, while we're down to a 54-54 legislature. Yeah. There are a lot of things that the Democratic majority focused on early in the year after they took control. And we saw some things actually uh, get done. But the governor and the legislature announced in the fall that they were kind of turning to secondary uh, priorities, things uh, that they wouldn't have put first in, in the order, but that they still wanted to get done this year. Let's talk about what some of those priorities were uh, that, that, that the governor in particular said she really wanted the legislature to focus on. Right. So what you're alluding to is the Governor Whitmer's what's next address. Um, This was a kind of a pseudo state of the state address she gave in August that basically said Democrats have accomplished X, Y and Z things so far with their majority in the legislature. And here are the things we're hoping to get done so far. Um, So among those, some of the high ticket item, big ticket items on that were um, energy reforms. She called for uh, lawmakers to set a carbon neutral or at least a clean energy standard. In that address, she didn't specifically set a date. Um, so far on legislation, we've seen that be around 2040 um, for one that would fully kick in with a phased um, with a phased in ramp up toward that goal. Um, there's a lot of legislation as part of that. It's a pretty sprawling package. Um, we've seen some of these bills already passed the legislature, but still hanging out there, especially is a bill around uh, energy siting that would give um, state regulators, the Michigan Public Service Commission, more authority when it comes to zoning some of these uh, solar and wind projects that may have run up against uh, local resistance. Beside that, we're also, Governor Whitmer also called for a Reproductive Health Act, which would 
which would reduce some of what she described and supporters of this have described as remaining barriers to abortion access in Michigan. The Senate actually took care of um, the remaining bills in that package yesterday. But aside from that, though, we still and this isn't something that she mentioned in the address, but uh, financial disclosure, that was something that voters approved in Prop 1. And that's something that lawmakers, especially the House, still need to act upon. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, those second and I, get, I am going to call them secondary priorities only because of the timing. I'm not suggesting that they're less important to Democratic legislators or Democratic uh, uh, voters. But but how much progress have they been able to make on them since that address? It's been a few months. Uh, they still have this majority. I, I felt like this agenda has exposed some of the cracks that actually exist in that Democratic majority, that that uh, there are Democrats who really fundamentally disagree in some cases uh, about about this part of the agenda. We have seen a little bit like to you to to your point, we have seen some cracks exposed, especially when it came down to the Reproductive Health Act. This was, again, a very sprawling piece of legislation. Originally, Um, there was a lot of different priorities that Democrats tried to hit in this. Two of the bigger um, parts of this package, which would a repeal Michigan's 24 hour abortion waiting period and also a repeal Michigan's ban on uh, Medicaid reimbursement for the procedure. Both of those things ran into opposition um, from Democratic members in the House, and those were left behind. So right now, the uh, Reproductive Health Care Act, that or the Reproductive Health Act that is going to the governor, it's missing some of those priorities that Democrats had gone for, but then realized that there wasn't a lot of room to go for in the time, and the time was ticking down before the end of the year. Yeah. Aside from that, with energy too, this is something where some of these bills have already been cleared for the legislature there's still the senate still needs to act on the energy siding bills i was talking about earlier that would give state regulators more power and once that happens one of those bills was already changed by the senate so it'll need to go back to the house this week probably this week for the house to concur to those changes and that could be another headache yeah. I'm talking with uh, Colin Jackson. He is the Capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking about Election Day, which was yesterday here in southeast Michigan, also uh, around the state and around the country, municipal and some statewide elections taking place. Uh, we would love to hear from you during the conversation today. Tell us whether you went out and voted yesterday. Did you vote for change in uh, some municipality that uh, that you live in there were several uh, cities that uh, were going to elect new leadership uh, yesterday uh, were you in favor of that new leadership did you maybe vote to keep things the same as they had been uh, also give us a sense of what you make of the results that we're seeing here in southeast michigan as well as around the country and what they mean for the 2024 elections, which really are just around the corner. Uh, it's really just a few months before that's going to be in full swing, the campaigns for president and Senate and Congress and uh, many, many other things that we will decide. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can work you into the conversation 
uh, that way. Uh, right now, we're talking about the fact that uh, two local races yesterday had an effect on the Democratic majority in the state legislature. There were two. There were legislators who won mayoral uh, races, and that makes uh, that majority go away at least temporarily uh, in the state house. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag us, and we'll work into the conversation. Okay, Colin, I want to talk about what happens now. There are elections that will have to be scheduled to see who will replace the house seats that uh, Lori Stone and Kevin Coleman. Uh, we're occupying. Let's talk about how that works. Yeah. So first off, um, the election results, uh, Lori Stone, I believe, will be uh, likely seated first. Um, in Warren, mayors take the seat or are sworn into office the Monday following elections. So according to their city charter, um, she'll be taking office in November. Uh, Westland gives a little more time where Kevin Coleman wouldn't be seated or sworn into office until New Year's Day. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm seeing reporting that it's likely they're going to probably resign their seats just to get that special election process rolling after elections are certified over the weekend. So that's immediately what's next for them. Uh, In terms of the House, the only way we'd see or my understanding of it, what the House rules that they approved at the beginning of the session say is there will be a new speaker election if there's a 55-55 even split. Mm -hmm. So going temporarily down to 54-54, it seems like there's going to be a little bit of grace for current speaker Joe Tate um, to at least have some sort of uh, control over the pace of everything. That being said, House Minority Leader Matt Hall, he's already alluding to the fact that the House is going to be down to 54-54. On Twitter, he congratulated Lori Stone and Kevin Coleman, and uh, he basically said Republicans are willing to find middle ground, find common ground, etc. And that really goes to show that for a while, they're not going to be able to pass any legislation without Republican votes. Mm-hmm. So, again, that stymies what Democrats, some of their main Democratic priorities are going to be if they can't get Republicans on board with that. Um, in terms of a special election, in 2022, Lori Stone won her seat with with around 67% of the vote. Kevin Coleman won with around 63% of the vote. So conventional wisdom would say these are safe Democratic districts. Uh, with a special election, it's likely, I mean, obviously crystal balls are always dangerous, but <laughs> it's likely that these will remain Democratic and it's going to be more of a temporary delay for Democrats versus a possible loss of the House. Mm-hmm. But that being said, if you're in leadership, would you rather be 56-54 or would you rather be 54-54 with the promise of two seats to come some point in the future? Sure. So, so I also wonder whether you believe that these seats, uh, which, which as you point out, are probably pretty safely Democratic, uh, might get caught up, though, in the internal discussion or argument or whatever you want to call it that's going on inside the Democratic Party. I mean, you do have, uh, I think, uh, factions that that have kind of uh, reared their heads since the majority took shape uh, that that want to go in really different directions. Do these elections become a battleground, perhaps, for those arguments. I mean, might we see uh, in the in the primary uh, in the primary races for these seats, which would which would be pretty important? Uh, will we see that strain uh, playing out 
there, which which could also then, of course, affect the agenda in Lansing. One of the cliches we hear when we talk about democratic politics is that the party is a big tent, right? And that means there's a lot of different um, voices and opinions within that party. And people in general, the majority so far has done a good job, at least of staying together when it comes to these big votes. There's definitely tense moments playing out behind the scenes that you see rather referenced on Twitter or just kind of rumblings around the Capitol. But when it comes time to vote on the board for some big policy objectives, for the most part, these typically get passed. Um, and when it comes down to translating that to a primary, I wouldn't be surprised if we did see some sort of conflict between maybe a progressive candidate versus a more moderate candidate coming up. And I couldn't tell you one way or another whether or not um, these districts would rather support a progressive candidate versus a more moderate candidate or someone in between. But that being said, these have been big topics of discussion. You know, there's been pushes to pass to act on, um, for example, uh, hate crime legislation or what Democratic sponsors call the Institutional Desecration Act. Um, that's just one thing that you've seen Democrats kind of grow a little bit impatient with um, waiting to see these things get passed. Those specific pieces of legislation are currently behind um, in the Senate. But still, we've also seen um, bills, for example, that would extend the criminal, uh, the statute of limitations for criminal sexual conduct. Um, those are also some other bills that you've seen some Democrats want to see move forward quicker that haven't moved as fast. So these things are, I mean, we, we could see these things play out in the primary as well to see where voters are and where the party is. Yeah. Um, when we get to these uh, elections and maybe get to a new Democratic majority. Uh, what does this all mean for bipartisanship, which we keep hearing from uh, folks in Lansing? And, if, uh, you know, Republicans are now saying, hey, we're willing to work together, even in the interim, to try to get things done. Is that a realistic hope for, uh, for, for the way things work in Lansing? I think that's an interesting question because, like you mentioned, um, Minority Leader Matt Hall, he's saying Republicans are willing to come to the table, get things done. Uh, I'm sure on the Senate side, even um, the, the makeup there is not changing, but I'm sure Senate Minority Leader Eric Nesbitt would say something similar. And these are the same type of talking points we hear from both sides of the aisle when it comes to leadership, right? Uh, we've seen, for example, one Republican member cross the aisle in the House, and all of a sudden bills become bipartisan. You know, they pass with bipartisan support, and that's the storyline that people are trying to push. So I think that no matter what, there's always the opportunity for bipartisanship. At the same time, it's a little bit complicated because when you're just sitting there in the House session for some of these big marathon days, you see the moments when everybody, the tense moments, you know, where it feels like not necessarily people are at each other's throats, but people are, tensions are high, um, people are feeling emotional, you get these very inflamed and passionate speeches, but then a couple votes later, you'll see everybody get behind a different piece of legislation and people going back to joking with one another, going back and forth, crossing the aisle, hanging out at people's desks, etc. So I will say bipartisanship is always an option. It's just a matter of which legislation, I would say. Okay, uh, Colin Jackson, Capitol reporter for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Great to have you here with us on Detroit Today, this day after the elections. Thanks for joining. 
Thank you so much for having me. Detroit Today is produced by Sam Corey and Nick Austin. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Our assistant producer is Maddie Boyer. Our music is by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. And podcast editing is by David Lyons. Our program director is Adam Fox. Detroit Today is a production of WDET in Detroit. And you can support the show by leaving a rating or a comment. Thanks for listening.